share. Many of you know, some of you, this will be new to, uh, to you. So uh, what I'm going to do this evening is uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to close with a song, uh, and I'm just going to work my way backwards here. Like, this is going to be like an, a Seinfeld episode. I'm going to start at the end and work my way backwards in terms of flow. So we're going to do a song at the end. We're going to pray as a church right before that. Uh, and then I'm going to un- un- unveil some plans that uh, are asking, begging, pleading that we would all step into these plans together in full force. And then before that, I'm going to give you some background. I'm going to give you a story. Uh, most of you, if not all of you, have heard what I'm about to share. Uh, but I think it's a good reminder. And then for those that maybe have never heard it, it's, it's hopefully one of those wow moments. And then all of that together, once we get to the end, will make sense. Okay? okay. All right. All right. All right. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I come to you bef- uh, before you this evening just as humbly as I can, uh, asking for your help asking for a filling of your spirit, asking for wisdom and clarity, asking for strength and boldness, asking for uh, grace in my spirit. Lord, I ask that on behalf of this church that you would have your way with us, that you would change us, that we would be compelled by the things that you called us to do. Lord, I pray for this church that we would be united Uh, that we would finish each other's sentences, that we would be best friends to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would march to the same drumbeat, to your heartbeat, Lord. And uh, I ask for your favor this evening that there would be a great movement that would take place as a result of this, that there would be uh, a joy and an excitement about what is about to be shared, Lord, and that there would be a, a passion to see wonderful things take place Lord, you are the God of miracles, so we're asking for you to do something amazing. And um, how exciting it is that we get to, to just have a front row seat to see some things that you're going to do in the life of this church and us individually. So I thank you for this group, these, these folks that are willing to give an hour on a Sunday evening to be here tonight, Lord. And I just pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here goes the story. Back... Uh, Way, way back in the day, my dad's from Costa Rica, my mom's from Honduras. They individually, they moved to New Jersey. That's where they met, got married, and had me and my sister. I was born in New Jersey, so was Janine. I went through kindergarten, and then uh, my mom apparently became homesick, so the family actually moved to Honduras. We were there for two years, and this is... 1980, 1981, there was a lot of communist issues taking place in that part of the world in Central America, the Sandinistas and all this other stuff. I remember seeing fully armed militia on uh, street corners with fully automatic weapons, um, with, with heavy machinery and equipment, uh, weaponized stuff all around. I remember seeing that. And, and my dad said, this is not a good place to raise a family. Our kids are American citizens. They'll have greater opportunities in the U.S. So he sought to move the family back to the States. And the plan was initially to move back to New Jersey because Hector had developed a very specific skill, like taken. He had developed a very unique skill set uh, on a very specific type of textile machinery. And uh, so getting a job was not going to be an issue. Well, it turns out that one of the guys he worked for in New Jersey had moved to Southern Pines, North Carolina, to start a manufacturing plant using this kind of equipment. So the guy told my dad, it's like, 
fly into Fayetteville. We'll pick you and the family up. You have a job on day one. So here's the family. We fly into beautiful, sunny resort, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And you think it's bad now. You need to go back a ways to 1981. Um, and so there's the family, and we fly in. My folks don't speak any English whatsoever. They've got some cash in their pocket, a couple of suitcases, and a couple of little ones. And the guy that was supposed to pick us up stood us up. Left us there. Fayetteville, 1981. People there don't speak Spanish back then. Maybe today you'll run into some, for sure, but not then. So he gets on the phone. He starts scrambling around. What are we going to do? Just put yourself in that situation. You had brought a family to a foreign world where you cannot communicate. You thought you had a job. Now what? So, so by God's grace and, and, and some phone calls, next thing you know, he, he finds out of this textile company that has the type of machinery that he's familiar with and knows how to operate, and they'll give him a job on day one, and that place is in, of all places, Anger, North Carolina. So that's how we end up in North Carolina. So fast forward, and you know, we get through school and all that. We have the, the house that they ended up buying, and there's no Catholic churches in Anger back in the day. I'm not even sure if there are any now, actually. Uh, there may be. I don't know. Um, there's none of that. And the reason I mention that is that my mom was devoutly Catholic, and my dad was quasi-Catholic, because if you're from Costa Rica, you're Catholic by default, right? So if they're going to go to church, it's going to be to a Roman Catholic church. Well, there are none. And so here we are in this little house in Little Anger with no Catholic churches. They don't speak English. And the neighbor across the street invites the family to this brand new church, a.k.a. church split, uh, because of drama and tension that had taken place in another church in Anger. So big boom. And this other church begins. And this lady invites our family to this church. And we go. We go to this little, tiny, southern country, southern Baptist church in Anger, North Carolina, which stylistically is pretty much the opposite extreme of Catholicism. Not only that, there is a massive language difference. They don't understand what's going on other than hello. And so here we are, and the family keeps going. And they keep going. And we, there we are at this church. Mostly, we kept going because these very friendly, warm, nice Christian people reached out to our family. It made us feel welcome and connected, and they, they taught my mom uh, discipleship stuff, like how to bake a pecan pie and, and how to make a, a pound cake, you know, stuff that matters, that it really is important. And so they, they befriended us. They brought us in, and so here they are, and the lady started teaching my mom English and all of this wonderful stuff. As a result of that, I, I, I got saved. Janine got saved. My sister got saved. I saw my parents get saved. I saw them get baptized. I mean, this is really cool stuff. Well, to add to the story, it turns out that the lady that was our neighbor who invited us to that church was clinically insane. And I don't mean that to be funny. She was literally out of her mind, in and out of mental institutions, like, all her life. Like, she didn't even go to church there. But she invited us there, and that's how we got there. Okay. Fast forward, I graduate high school, go off to UNC Chapel Hill, get my degree because I want to go be a doctor. Decided I didn't want to do that much schooling, so I went into sales, medical, biomedical sales is what I was doing. Enjoyed that. Uh, never to move back to Andrew, having zero desire to ever move back to this town ever in any way. I cannot stress that enough. 
and I go off, and, and I'm doing my thing, and God, because he does what he does, he called me into the ministry. Next thing I know, I'm in seminary. I'm single at the time. I'm in seminary. I, I end up on staff at Apex Baptist Church. You know, me and Jamie got married. Next thing I know, I'm on staff at, at uh, Explore Church in Fuquay, and here we are. And I'm feeling this God is leading me, calling me. There's something else. There's something he wants me to do. And lo and behold, it's moved back to Anger and helped start a new church. And I resisted it. I fought it because I did not want to be in Anger, number one. And number two, because knowing the layout of this town, it's small, and there aren't really many places where you can do church. And for some odd reason, it was kind of really one of my main things. Like, well, it's not like we're going to build a building. And where do we meet? How do we start? Well, God has his way. We moved to Anger. We started this small group. It was six families. We're coming together. We grew to seven, eight families really quickly. And we put this thing together. And we're just meeting every week for Bible study. What, does it, what will this look like? Me and Jamie end up moving to Anger. And while we're searching for the house that we're going to buy, we drove by what is this building. And I remember at one point saying, it looks empty. Like, it doesn't look like there's a business operating out of that space. And so we're still driving around. This is over the course of a month or so. And then one day we drive by, and there's a sign out front with a phone number on it. I'm like, well, doesn't hurt to call. So I called. And it went to the voicemail of one Mr. Bob Barker. Not the price is right, different Bob Barker. And I hung up. And the reason I hung up, the reason I hung up is because at the time I'd met him once, but I had no relationship with him. And, and the pastor at Explore Church knew him much better. So I'm like, I'd rather someone that knows him better make that initial phone call. So he did. And a few of us came here one day and he walked us through the space. And he was, you could tell he was doing it as a, as a courtesy. It just had that air to, to that whole time that we were in this, in this place that day. And I, I, it was right back there. I, I pulled him aside. I said, well, Mr. Barker, what do you think? And he goes, I'll be honest with you. I have no interest in renting this building. I'm trying to offload property. And he told me what it would cost to buy I'm like, yeah, not so much. And, and he told me what the previous tenant had paid in rent, which was like $8,700. I'm like, yeah, I, uh, we can't pay that much money. Um, and so I'm deflated pretty instantly because I thought maybe something like this could work out. And he said, oh, there's another place right down the road. I got another building that might work for you. Want to check it out? I'm like, sure. So it's like a mile and a half down the road. And I always joke, this is the mother of warehouses. This is where they make warehouses. Like, it's, it's, it's huge. It's dirty. It, there, there's walls, and that's it. Like, the, the electrical is just stringed uh, wire across the building. No HVAC, no heating, no air conditioning whatsoever. And it's massive. And you could do paintball in there and church at the same time and not disturb anyone. Uh, and I was, I was joking, I said, we could do drive-in church, because, uh, well, that way you can have the AC on, and everybody can be comfortable, and you're like, I'm preaching up front, but you just dial into the right station and listen to the sermon that way, and we just turn to Caleb, we'll just sing with whatever's on Caleb at the time, we don't even need a praise team, and then we'll say, well, no, we'll all die of carbon monoxide poisoning, so that's not good, so 
on his own, Mr. Barker said, no, this, this won't work. Like the other building, meaning this one, that's much better. It's way better suited. So he said, give me a couple of days. I'm going to talk to my wife, and we'll see what we can do. I'm like, okay. Two days go back, go by. Me and Jamie are driving with the kids in the back. They're screaming and crying. We're coming for our final inspection in our home. We're closing on our homes the very next day. We're moving to Andrew, having no idea what's going to happen, where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. We're just stepping out on faith and trying to be obedient to what God has called us to do. So on that day, Mr. Barker calls. He says, okay, you can have the building. Get in there. Do whatever you got to do. $1,000 a month. Hear that well, because I wonder how many people's mortgage is even $1,000. Like, how many people's mortgage is more than $1,000? Okay? This is 20,000 square feet on a major highway within the city limits with plenty of parking for $1,000 a month. We had investigated what it would cost at the school, and it was going to be $3,700 a month. And you only get to use it on Sunday mornings. So I'm crying. Thank you, Mr. Barker. Thank you, God. And here we go. And I'm like, well, we're, we made it. And, and so, but ignorance is bliss. I had no idea what we we're about to get into. And I think it was Brent, but I'm not sure. Looked at it and said, ah, uh, we got an issue. We can't meet in the building. It's, the property is zoned in such a way that a church cannot meet in the building. It was, it was uh, zoned Commerce Park. So I'm like, all right, well, how hard is it to rezone a building? I mean, honestly, it's just paper. Like, just scratch that out, write something else in this place. So I go to town hall. And I'm like, this is going to be simple because the town manager is Coley Price. And I grew up with Coley Price. We weren't buddies. He's four years older, but we knew each other. And so I go in there impromptu. I didn't even schedule a meeting. I just walk in. It's the town manager in. And we hadn't seen each other in 20-plus years. And Coley, you know, oh, and he knew me. He recognized me. So we sit down and just have a conference call, like a conference there at the table. And we're talking. And I'm telling him what, we, what we're trying to do and the opportunity we have in the building. And all of a sudden comes this old guy with jeans and a ball cap. And he walks right into the conference room at town hall in the middle of this important meeting that I'm having with the town manager. And the dude just starts talking and asking me questions and, like, and like giving feedback. I'm like, who are you? Like, and I'm afraid to ask because I'm like, it was so awkward. And at one point, Coley goes, well, Mr. Mayor, what they're trying to do Oh, great. Well, all of a sudden, I found myself in an impromptu meeting with the town manager and the mayor, who is R.H. Ellington, whose son, youngest son, I grew up with. I played baseball, soccer, football, all of it every year from, like, third grade all the way through high school. So I'm like, I got this. The mayor and the town manager, like, we got this. So then they said what is ultimately the greatest understatement anyone has ever said to me personally. And they said, well, it's not impossible, but it'll be difficult. 
So they, they, they laid out what it's going to take for us to get into the building, the rezoning. And so first you're going to have to do this kind of meeting, and then you're going to have to go to the planning board and do this, and then you're going to have to go to the, t to the town board itself. So we did, me and Brent, we had that first preliminary meeting with like these engineers and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then we, we put together a presentation to go before the planning board. The planning board has no authority in town. They're an advisory council to the commissioners. But you have to go through them, and obviously it would be really good to get their endorsement or their backing, their support. But here's the problem. In, by, by everyone's recollection in, in recent history, and by recent I mean pushing 30 years, a planning board has not voted in favor of any church action in town whatsoever. They have voted against any church. Uh, they're not anti-church. They're not anti-Jesus. It's just that the town has um, created what's called a land use plan. And they've zoned the area in such a way that it's virtually impossible, if not literally impossible, for a new church to begin a new work within the city limit or even within the ETJ, the extended boundaries of the town. It's just what they've done. So there have been numerous churches over the last 10, 15 years, and, and then some, that have come to the town board, we want to plant a church, we want this building, and they have said no every time. So here I go before this planning board, knowing the history, and we put this presentation together, and, and they ask a few questions, and you can tell by the body language they're going to they're gonna go against this project, this work. And some of us were there that evening. I always look to Vonda, because you were there that night. I remember you being there, right? Um, there was a time where the, it, the, it shifted. It was going against us, and the individual, and he was sitting, sitting right in the middle of the panel, he says, I came to this meeting already having decided how I'm going to vote because there is a precedent for how we vote on such matters. He put his head down, 15 seconds or so. He looks up, looked me in the eye with tears in his eyes, and he goes, but I'm convinced. And he called a vote, and it went four to two in favor, which was amazing there's that scripture in proverbs where it says that god holds the hands of kings in his hands that what we saw in that moment is god literally reached into the heart of that man and changed his mind reached change his mind by reaching to his heart right <laughs> that totally makes sense <laughs> and so now i'm like oh, well now this this is candy like, we got this. All we needed to go is go before the actual town board, which makes a decision. Well, guess what? I grew up with one of the commissioners. He was the son in one of those families that helped my mom learn how to make pound cake. I grew up with him. We were buddies. We were friends. Our families were tight. One of the other commissioners was a deacon at the church in which my parents were going. And there were my dad and him were deacons. And the mayor, I grew up with his son. I mean, come on. Like, this is in the bag. And my, and my spider sense started tingling right before, a few weeks before that meeting. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm just sensing, I'm discerning that this is not, something's wrong. So we go before the town board, and we do this presentation, and you could tell they wouldn't look me in the eye, their body language, the stuff they were saying, the questions they were raising. And it, it wasn't even about Anthem Church in this space. It was actually more like, we don't need a church in Andrew. Like, it, I, was, I felt like I was defending the church, not just this church, but you know what I'm saying, capital C, the church. 
in, in, in having to evangelize in, in the midst of that meeting. I, I ended up preaching a sermon for five minutes at one point because one of the questions they got asked. And uh, I, could, I, I, did, I was 99.9% sure this is going to go against us just based on what I was feeling and sensing in that meeting. And the mayor says to the, the panel, the board, all right, gentlemen, you know what you need to do. You have to deliberate and you have to render a vote. Raise your hand if you were there at that first meeting. Okay, you guys remember this, how it was total silence? Like it was a good two minutes of silence. The mayor asked a question again. Gentlemen, you know that your duty is to d discuss this publicly right now and vote. Again, nothing he asked a third time, and each time it's a minute or two of silence. He asked a third time and still nothing. These are country boys, good old boys, politicians. Do you think that they're ever shy about talking? Nothing. And the silence in the room was deafening. And the mayor then asked a question that at the time caused me to shudder, which was, well, gentlemen, you could decide to defer for another month. Which at the time, I'm screaming inside, no, just tell me no now. Like, I'd rather know now, no now. Just why wait another month? I'm having shoulder surgery the next day. I just, just, just come on, just do your decision. Say no if it's going to be no. Well, that's what they decided. They decided to punt for a month. So here we go, retool the presentation, come back up, my arm's in a sling, I'm presenting pretty much the, everyone who's part of Anthem Church at the time, they're there that night, and I'm like, I, it's guns blazing time, I'm not leaving anything on the field, I am, I'm coming after it as best as I can. And I do my presentation, and then they start asking questions, and they start saying things, and it's like, oh my word, they're going to say no. They're saying no. There's no doubt in my mind, they're saying no. And then one commissioner asked a question that turned the entire tide of the event. He asked, why does Andrew need a laid-back church? And that's specifically how he said it. Meaning, why does, that, why does Andrew, Andrew need a church in which the preacher can preach in jeans or even cargo pants, right? And we can show up in flip-flops and, and shorts. That's what he was asking. Well, he opened up. I mean, he just, he just, the hornet's nest got a bit riled up. And next thing I know, like, all of our people pretty much are getting up, and they're getting in line to speak into the microphone. And they're saying why this is important and why this is good. There were people there at the council board meeting on other business, not having anything to do with Anthem, getting up and talking about why Andrew needs a church like this. On our behalf. And I'm looking at the commissioners, and I tell you, it's not making a dent. So then, every time, man, all right. So then, here comes Hector, my dad. And if you know him, he's quiet, shy, reserved. He's not a public speaker. And he comes into the microphone, and I'm like, Okay, like what I have no idea why this man is getting up. And it took him, I think, about 90 seconds. It couldn't have been much longer than that to say what he had to say. 
And it was a story about a lady that used to work where he worked here in town who showed up at, at work on a Monday morning in tears and mad because the church that she was, had been attending, the ladies made fun of her because she wasn't dressed on par with them. So she said, I'm never stepping foot in another church again. And my dad turned around and walked away. And in that moment, one of the commissioners made eye contact with me. And he just did this. He nodded. And in that moment, I kid you not, I leaned back in my chair, I crossed my arms, and I just smiled. And I said, God just gave it to us. And he called for a vote, and it went four to zero in favor. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to the commissioners, they were going to say no until Hector said what he said. And the reason I tell that story is because who would have ever guessed that an immigrant from Costa Rica would be the one that was used by God in front of the town board of a country rural town to convince these individuals to rezone a property for the use for a church? You can't make that up. You can't write that. Why in the world would my family get uh, flown into Fayetteville and abandoned? And we end up in Anger. And it's a sea of white and black. There's no brown. No one speaks. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the weird guy. This is one of the reasons why I wanted out of Anger. I was the weird one. It messed me up. I don't even know that Janine experienced some of the things that I experienced early on. I paved the way for her, took some of the obstacles out. And so here I am back in town and playing a church. And it's like, who, who would have ever guessed that? Like, do you believe in the providence of God? Do you believe that God is at work? Do you believe that God has plans that go way beyond anything that you can imagine or foresee? See, because I've lived it. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I've witnessed it. It's just how it is in our lives. And I'm sure that all of us can look back and I would have never guessed that was going to happen. And here I am and look at this and look at that. And this is amazing. And I, I tell that story um, because this space has been an unbelievable blessing in the hands of God to the work that we have been doing and I believe will continue to do. Talk to any other church plant. And they would come in here and be just eat up with jealousy. Churches don't start in a space like this. In a location like this with this much room to grow in at that cost. That doesn't happen. Every church plant I've talked to is like, that is amazing. It is shocking. It, in God's provision of this location to us, it's one of the reasons we were able to get going because if it had not been for this, I don't know where we could have started in town. And we were looking. We were researching. We were asking questions. And not only did it give us an opportunity to get going because of the cost and the location and all that, but it's one of the reasons we continue to grow. Our location, I, I, maybe half of the people that ever visit our church is like, you know, I've been driving by and I see the sign. 
some people, like Amy DePico, and you're like, Amy, uh, a few months ago, she's, she, I saw the sign, and it had an A, and the A has the staff, and she's a musical person, and it caught her eye, and it's what led, led you here, right? It's like, what got you through the door? Like, it's just an amazing thing that we see God using this space. It's not because of the space, but God is using it. You follow? Tremendous blessing, size, location, and cost. It's what's allowed us to get to the point where we go from that original six families several years ago to launching services to now over the last three months averaging just over 100 people here on Sunday mornings. The average church in the United States is like 65 people. The average church plant, it takes them eight years to crack 100. In two and a half years, we're at that mark. Is God behind this? Is there any doubt that God is behind this? No, there is none, and he's provided everything. If in this space, everything was given, the pews were given, the sound system was given, everything. Like, we, I think it cost us $42,000, $45,000 just to renovate the space, just to get it to where we are. Everything was given, a fire alarm system, $17,000 we had to install, money provided, everything provided that we needed to get started. Those great chairs are the only thing we bought. The tables in the back and the chairs in the back, all given. The tables and the chairs in the children's ministry, all given. The furniture in the office and in the hall, all given. Everything provided by individuals and churches all over the place. All right. This brings us to where we are today. Four weeks ago, the landlord our very generous landlord, uh, very benevolent Christian man, Mr. Bob Barker, he calls me and he says, Rick, I have to sell the building. Where are we at is what followed after that, meaning, can you buy it? It's always been his intention for us to buy the building. It's always been his intention for us to buy the building. Well, we've always said, well, we just have to grow enough, have enough people to support the mortgage, which, you know, are we there yet? I don't know. And so I don't remember much beyond the first 30 seconds of that phone conversation. I, I remember right, because he had called and left me a message. So when he, he doesn't call to chit chat. He's a busy, busy man. And, and so when he calls, it's because it's important. And when I saw that I missed a phone call, I got a bit nauseated. And so I'm like, it was, we, me and Jamie had gone to vacation. We were there five minutes at the beach house when I got this. I'm like, I got to get to the back of the house. I'm going to go throw up. I got to call Mr. Barker. And I called him. And he, get, he said what he said. I was expecting him to say, I need to increase the rent from 1000 to 2000 or something like that. Not expecting him to say, I've got to sell the building. Uh, two years ago, he bought a business, and he's having to pour a lot of cash into it. it, it it's still getting established. And so he needs le next-level cash to support the business, so he's needing to sell cash. He doesn't need an extra $12,000 a year. You know, follow, you know what I'm saying? So, get off the phone with him. I'm on, at the vacation. I'm trying to, I didn't tell Jamie the whole time we were there because I didn't want to mess with her, but it probably did because she knew something was wrong. So, either way. Um, and here's, here's what I've been doing since that. And, and I've shared this with some of you, most of you, maybe not all, but anyway. I've been looking. What are our options? 
if we're not in this space, what does this mean? What other building in the area can accommodate? Is there another building that can accommodate 100 people, let alone give us the opportunity to continue to grow? Is there another building that can fit our budget? $1,000 a month, $1,500 a month maybe? Like, is there another space that could allow us to, to function? You know, it seems like the best alternative is the school if it's not this building. But the thing is that it was going to cost us $3,700 a month three years ago. Well, we need more space now than we would have two and a half years ago because we're bigger. We have more children. And then no more lunches and no more anthem night, no more midweek rehearsal for the praise team, no more free yard sale. And you, you know what I'm saying? There's a, there is a level of identity our identities in Christ, but as a church, there is a level of culture. It's the right word, not identity. Culture that is who we are. And to then go into a space where we now have to function radically different, how helpful would that be? And it would cost us a minimum of twice as much more and give us less space and no space other than Sunday morning. All other buildings in the area are well below 10,000 square feet. So we'd be going, we'd be reducing our facility size by well over 50%. So what are our options? Well, the way I see it, and I have thought hard, I have prayed, I have sought wisdom, I have sought counsel, I begged of God, Lord, what do you want us to do? What is the, what is the alternative? What is the choice? There is really only one choice, and it's a stewardship issue. By this building. By the building. And the reason I say that this is a stewardship issue is because God wants to do something with us. It is clear. His hand is behind us. This is the best place in town. Location, size, and cost. Let me explain the cost to you. This building is worth at least $850,000. We think it's closer to $900,000. The owner is willing to sell to us. It's on paper for $500,000. Pennies on the dollar. Pennies on the dollar. If for no other reason, that should be incentive enough to jump on it. But for us, there is a greater level of urgency or a different need because it's, it's not like we're trying to take advantage of a good real estate value. The whole thing here is what is the space in town from our perspective, from our human perspective, using godly wisdom, appropriating good stewardship, biblical stewardship principles, what is the place in town that afford us the greater opportunity for maximum kingdom impact? And there is no doubt that it is this space. There is no question. Now, I will say, if God wants to do something else with us, if he wants us somewhere else, so be it. I'm going to hold this building with an open hand. This is just a physical address. This is just brick and mortar. It is not about this building. We can paint another building. We can do a striped wall in another place. I do like a striped wall. Okay? So it's not about this building, per se. God may put us in a 5,000-square-foot place and blow us up you know, in a weird way and just say, see, see what I can do? So I use the foolish things of the world to confound and, and to amaze people. God may have all sorts of plans, but based on everything I've heard and seen and prayed and thought and been advised of, knowing the town the way that I do, stewardship dictates this is the place. 
Why in the world would God have brought us to this place and gone through that whole rezoning process? Money has been invested into it. It's a, it's a sunk cost. So it's just money. God has plenty. But it would seem odd for God to do that work and then just to move us to somewhere else. So the, the, the one thing I want to be clear of, I never want to be a building-centric church, and, and I would say that we we'll never will be a building-centric church. It is important, however, to have a beachhead from which to launch ministry. And that's what a facility is. It's a tool, a resource by which to do the work that we've been doing. That's all it is. So whether it's this place or somewhere else, it's important that we have a beachhead. And so that's what we're saying. What is the best beachhead in this town for us to do the work that God has called us to do? Um, so here are the facts. I've, I know enough because I've talked to enough. I've talked to a, at least one banker. We would need a minimum, minimum of $100,000 down payment before a bank would ever even consider a loan. That's $100,000. This is what I do know. That if we have to get a $400,000 mortgage, a bank will not give us the mortgage. Because we don't have enough monthly revenue to cover the monthly payment on a $400,000 mortgage. So we need $250,000 down payment. Probably three, I would say maybe raising $325,000 because we're going to want a cookie jar, a savings account for when our HVAC goes out because right now Mr. Barker pays for all of that. If we have a leak in the building, he pays for all of that. We would have to have the resources to do that kind of work. So we're looking to raise at least $300,000, $350,000. Here's my desire, and here's my want. I want to raise $500,000. And, and here's the other thing. Uh, Mr. Barker is willing to give us till January, which is much better than what I was thinking initially, because when he called me, I got off the phone. I didn't want to know what his timeline was, and so, which I should have known because it freaked me out more than it should have. But I'm like, at the time, I'm like, oh, no, like, what if he has to put it on the market right now? That's not the case. He's willing to give us to January to raise the money sufficient to put the down payment down that we can mortgage the building. Praise God. So here is the big picture. We got to raise at least three hundred thousand. I'm saying five hundred thousand in five months. Just out of curiosity, what's going through your head right now? <laughs> Someone needs a part-time job. <laughs> Someone said something funny back there, but I don't know what it was. I'll ask you later. Oh, nice, nice. Guys, here's what I do know. Because I, I know pastors, I know churches, I've been in conversations with church consultants and stuff like you have no idea over the last month. What we're embarking on is a ridiculous, it's ridiculous by human standards. Like I, no one knows if a church has ever tried to do this, to raise that much capital in that amount of time. Plus, considering the fact that we are as small as we are. 
most campaigns in a church is, you know what, we're thinking about buying a building or building a building or adding a space two, three years from now. We're going to ask for, like, pledges. You're going to give an extra amount every month, you know, traditional capital campaign in a space. And then you build up to it, and then you build it. This is different. We're asking, we got to have a lot of cash in really fast, and we're small. And let me tell you, other than the very first night, I'll just... I'll say it by word of confession. Other than the first night after I got the news, I have not been the least bit afraid. I have not been worried. I haven't lost any sleep over this. In fact, I'm genuinely excited about this. And let me tell you why. It tells us in Scripture that God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, which is just poetic shorthand to say that he owns all the cattle and the hills. And he owns all the hills And God owns the planet upon which the hills stand, and he owns the cosmos upon which the earth hangs. So $500,000 to the God of heaven and earth is nothing. If anything, it's almost insulting to come up to God. Oh, can you please, baby, give us $500,000? He's like, I own it all. Ask for it. Ask, seek, and you shall receive. And we get a front row seat in seeing God do something that no other church has gotten to see that you need to go back to Nehemiah, where God said, here's everything you need for a, for a wall. And there is, in, in there, there is biblical precedent for this. God provided everything that was needed for that project, and they did it in 50 days. They built the wall in 50 days. So I don't think that we're asking something tremendous here, but I do believe that we're asking for a miracle. We're asking to do something in this far beyond what we can do. And we're going to execute a plan. We're going to do our part. Put our best foot forward. And if it doesn't work, and if it doesn't happen, then so be it. But we're going to apply everything we have to work a very specific plan that this will take place. So here are the specifics of of what's going to happen. Um, And man, I I haven't slept in a while, I don't think, because I've been trying to put together a campaign. This is not a building campaign. This is not a capital campaign. This is a vision campaign. And there is a dramatic difference between a vision campaign and those others. In a building campaign, you just care about a building, whatever that building may be. Capital campaign, you just care about the money. Vision campaign is all about the work God has called us to do. Okay? So we're putting together a vision campaign. This is not about a building or money. And you guys have heard this, and I'm going to say it again. Here's the greater vision for this church, and it has been this from inception, and it will come to take place. Housing ministry. We want to buy dilapidated houses in town, fix them up, put families and individuals who are struggling up at low income, low rent, get them on their feet, help them out, disciple them, and ship them off. This is part of the vision. What's another one? We want this genuine, legit, throughout the week, kids' ministry, where we subsidize daycare, where we subsidize preschool, where we do mentoring, where we do after-school tutoring, where we're involved with young people and teens because Andrew has an inordinate high children's population. 
lot of single parents. The parents aren't involved in the school system. The kids need help. We have an incredible opportunity to raise the next generation and to influence some young minds. So we want to do this ministry. We want an elderly daycare, which sounds really funny, but we're, the times are such now that more and more parents that are older are, live, are moving back in with their children because they can't be alone by themselves. They either can't afford it or, or for health reasons, but they can't be left a, alone at home because of different health issues or their age or whatever to have a place where they can bring their, their parents and we have bingo and shuffleboard and cake and whatever it is that, se- that senior citizens do. Let them have fun. Let, them take care- let us take care of them. And then they're picked up in the afternoon. We want a biblical counseling program. And I cannot tell you how much this town needs it. There are no biblical counselors around. You have to drive a ways to find any. And there is a massive difference between a quote-unquote Christian counselor, which I do not recommend ever in a biblical counselor. I don't have time to unpack that. If you have questions about the differences, talk to me afterwards. But there are no biblical counselors. Do you know how many people we have here with drug addictions or whose marriages are in trouble or who have issues with children that need that any next-level help? And then some? Depression? Suicide? All of that? Where do those people go for help? They're going to come to this place called Anthem Church because this is part of the vision that God has given. We want to be part of church planting beyond our own. There's a church right now in Teaching North Carolina that we help fund to get them on their feet. I actually think that there is a place somewhere in the McGee's Crossroads area where we're going to be planting a church. I don't know if it's next week. I don't know if it's five years from now, but that has been laid on my heart for a few years. That area is growing like crazy. It needs a church. They haven't had a church in a while. Like Andrew. Andrew hasn't had a church in 30 years, a new church. McGee's Crossroads needs some gospel. They need some gospel over there. And part of that, part of the vision is a campus. We've said from the beginning we want to buy the building. That's not new. That's not secret. We've always said that. Not only that, what else have we said about this corner in Andrew? The white building? Cuts Chapel? What have we always said about it? We're going to buy it. They've bought land outside of town. They want to move outside of town somewhere else. We have first right of refusal. So now, imagine this. We turn this, we push that wall out. We can grow our numbers. We can add more people here on Sunday mornings, turn that into educational space. What we do is build a breezeway between the two buildings, and that becomes all children's Sunday school. Okay. To have, you realize the, and I don't, you may not know this, the unbelievable amount of growth that is about to hit this town. Most people don't know this because most of us kind of are a bit disconnected about what is happening at certain levels of town planning. Folks, the DOT has scheduled major road construction. And when I mean schedule, it's budgeted and already in the calendar to expand roads and to add roads in Anger. Developers are buying land. A developer has already purchased Hidden Valley, and they're starting next year to build houses. There are 450 homes going in Hidden Valley alone. 
there is an estimated 2,400 homes that are going to be between Anger and where you guys live. You guys live in South Lakes? Goes to it. South, okay, between here and uh, Five Points, 2,400 homes in that corridor in the next six years. What's Campbell doing? Campbell is growing like leaps and bounds. Harnett County, last I heard, was the third fastest growing county in the state. Uh, Raleigh is the second fastest growing city in the country. Where's all that growth going? It's not going to Fuqua anymore. It's not going to Holly Springs anymore. It's not going to Apex anymore. We're ground zero, folks. This is ground zero for what we're going to have to turn from 5,000 people strong in 2016, and in five years, we're going to be 30,000 people up in here. And one thing that I've somewhat known from the very beginning is that Anthem Church is not meant to be the church for Andrew people. There's only a couple of us, like me and Joey and, and Matthew, that grew up in Andrew. Like, how many of us, who else grew up in Andrew? Like, my family. I mean, yes, Miss Cynthia. Like, okay, Janine. I'm talking about the families. Like, there's nothing wrong with Andrew. We love Andrew. We love Andrew. But I'm saying, like, like um, Delaware. You're from Delaware, right? Kansas? Nebraska. Nebraska. Same thing. <laughs> Kansas, Nebraska. Corn, right? Chicago. Michigan. Western part of the state, Michigan. Okay, thank you for the shirt. That helped. <laughs> yeah. Virginia. New York. New York. City so nice, they named it twice. We, we, for, for whatever reason, God wants us to be the church that connects with people that aren't typically from here. Now, there are going to be some, and that's great, and that's wonderful. It's not, we're not doing anything on purpose. It's just the kind of church that God has created us to be. We're not a traditional church. We do things a little bit differently. There's a uniqueness to us. Theologically, there is a uniqueness to us. I don't, not just stylistic. There, 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 are some theo, there are some massive theological differences between us and our surrounding churches. I'm not taking a shot. I'm just being honest. There is a conservative, evangelical, doctrinal, man, I, I think our theology is stout and sound, okay? And that theology spills over philosophically and methodological in regards to how we do ministry. There is no church like Anthem around. Add to that the fact that God has blessed us with cool decor and a nice space and wonderful musicians and singers and, and a way that we go about doing the work. And I tell you, there is a uniqueness to who we are. And God is going to use that culture to bring hundreds of people to himself. Not just to Anthem, but to the gospel. Um. So what we're going to do, what I've done, is that I've created a, a web page on our website. You probably haven't seen it. It just got launched a few days ago. It spells out the vision campaign. We're calling the vision campaign Greater Things. And, and that's not random. There was actually a message in a season a year, a year and a half ago that we spent talking about 
God has greater things for us. God has greater things for us. It became a bit of a, a theme for us. And, and here we go. This is the theme. God has greater things in store for us. He's going to do greater things in us and through us. He wants us to see greater things. It's not about a building. It's a tool. It's about the ministry and bringing the gospel to bear upon the lives of people. The building is just kind of sort of part of it, like a necessary thing. Okay? So it's greater things. You can go to our website, and I want you to read it and read it carefully and read it again and read it again and read it again. I want you to be ambassadors of this vision. Okay? Um. I am about to begin a process, once I get back from Haiti, of going on some major fundraising trips, traveling around, talking to individuals and churches and foundations and whatever group will allow me a minute to get in front of them to ask for money and to, to fund the vision. And so, well, I'll come back to that. Uh, we're going to put together some print material, a letter, for instance, with some other stuff that I'm going to be asking everyone in our church family to send out to friends and family and coworkers and share with your, your employment because sometimes employers will give a donation to, uh, to something like this and to try to get as many gifts as possible. Some people only give $10 to it. Fine, great. $10 add up. $10 bills add up, right? But we're also going to need some thousands and some 10,000s and probably a 50 somewhere in there. Like we, we're going to need, we need to have contact with lots of people. Mathematically, I've thought of it this way. If we find 500 churches, people, organizations, associations, uh, foundations, whatever combination there are, 500 that are each willing to give 1,000, we pay for the building. That doesn't seem too daunting to me. However, the thing is, I'm going to get out there with some people that have some serious cashish and ask, hey, you know, can you give us 50000 Can you give us 25000 You know, in, in a fundraising campaign of this nature, there's always the, you have to have some of those. It's, it's how I've been, I've learned too much about fundraising the last few weeks. I've been in touch with these consultants. Like, this is how it works. So I'm, it's going to be extremely trying on my time, what's, what's about to come. Uh, obviously going to be asking well, I'll finish with this last little part. Here's what I'm asking of you. Here's what I'm asking of everyone that makes up Anthem Church, your anthemers. Okay? Ready? Invite, 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 invite. Invite, invite, invite people to church. Folks, I know, I know. It is not about just getting people to sit here on a Sunday morning. That is not what church is. That is not the objective. We want to make disciples. But part of bringing people into the gospel is bringing people into the life of God's people. Invite them, be a part of a small group, and invite them to small group. If they won't come to big church, invite them to little church, small group. Okay? Here's the reality. If we can only raise... $250,000, we got to pay that mortgage every month. We, we do need more tithers. We need more get, being giving every week and every month. And we expect that we need to be averaging about 180 people 
if, if we're going to only raise that amount of money, we're, we need about 180 people here on Sundays, pushing 200 people in order to pay, be able to pay the mortgage if we're able to buy the building. And we've got to show the bank that we have that revenue stream. So invite, invite, invite your friends, your neighbors, the person at the grocery store, anywhere and everywhere. You ask once, ask again. Do it nicely. You know, we're not nagging. We're inviting them to a good thing, right? We believe in Anthem. We believe in Jesus. Or, or should we be ashamed or shy about doing this? Like, no, absolutely not. So invite all the time. We clearly were asking for an increase in generosity from, from everyone who makes up Anthem. Uh, not only to the general budget, but also to greater things. And so if you, if you were to give, whether it's a check or in an envelope cash or whether it's uh, online, like there's a box now that's going to say, I think right now it, it says the other, right, Rose? Was it changed? Okay, yeah, it, it's going to say greater things on there. And maybe it's a one-time gift. Like this is all I can give, and, and, and it's like, you know, and it's, it, 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 there's no such thing as too small. Think the widow's might in scripture. There's no such thing as too small a gift. You will, you, God will bless that. It honors God. So you give as much as you can, or maybe it's, I can only give this amount to that every month. Praise God. Let it be that. Maybe you can have a yard sale and take the proceeds and give it to that. Be creative. Be thoughtful, you know? So invite, give. I'm going to be asking, we're going to be putting together these letters that I'm going to ask you guys to send out to friends and family, etc. But then here's, here's what I'm going to ask. If you know of people, any individuals that are capable of giving substantially, don't send them a letter. We're going to go visit. Or I'll go visit. And if they're in Michigan, I will drive up to Michigan. Okay? This is going to be my job, folks. This is really going to be my job for five months. Okay? Um, Crepe Myrtle's coming up. It is a massive opportunity for us to connect with a lot of people. Game face, best foot forward. Crepe Myrtle, everyone helping and serving. Okay? Um, attend on Sunday mornings. I know we get sick and there's some trips that are out of our hands. Um, you know, the last month has been a little, a little tough. Last week was rough in terms of our attendance. It makes a difference when a visitor comes the attendance, it affects the impression it makes. The more people, there's life. It makes it more likely they'll come back. So prioritize as much as you can, like, to be here on Sunday mornings and encourage each other and others to be here on Sunday mornings. Be warm, be nice, be engaging, be friendly, shake people's hands. Uh, every time I talk to someone new, they always talk about, this is like the nicest church I've ever been to. Like, everyone reaches out and says hello. Maybe too much, too in excess. Like, no. Let's sing. When we're together on Sunday mornings, folks, let's sing. Sing loudly. Please clap your hands. That's why I need Kristen and Jennifer up here in the front row every week. And Allison. I need the three of you, like, right here every week. I just recently heard this. It makes no sense. It's like, you know what? Um, I, I want to be careful here. It says put your best worshipers up front. Now, 
I say that meaning that one of the most sincere worshipers I've ever, I've ever seen was at a previous church, and she sang like this. Okay, so it's not about raising hands or being demonstrative. So I want to be careful about that. But there's something encouraging and infectious about seeing other people giving themselves over. Folks, so let's get here on Sundays. Let's get here early. Let's shake some hands. Let's be nice and let's sing loudly. And let that be used by God and his spirit to draw people. And when people walk out of here, they may say, those people are nuts, but they believe what they believe. They really believe it, and they sing it, and they're passionate about it. There's something about passion that's encouraging and thrilling and exciting. Um, I'm going to ask everyone to step up and serve. There are few that are holding all of this together. They're wearing two, three, four different hats every week. We have a few ladies that are having to go two, three, four Sundays at a clip, not being able to be here for church because they're working so hard with our children. Because of what I'm going to have to do over the next few months, there is much less hands-on that I'm going to be able to do in regards to some things. And so what I'm asking and I'm begging for, for my, and I'm asking this selfishly for my good and the good of my family. If you're serving, serve and step up and own it in a way that you never have before. That The blessing to me is I don't have to think about that area of the church because so-and-so is knocking it out. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not a micromanager, and I don't want to do that. And it's a blessing if I don't have to. And to step up into certain roles, because right now there's some areas of the church where we need some major help in, but there's no one that has been tapped on the shoulder yet to do it. You may have an idea that I haven't thought of, say, Rick, I actually think I can do this. I'm like, yes, I need that. The church needs that. So what is that? There may be something right now. But I need everyone serving. Like, everyone's going to have to march on this sucker. Like, we cannot lean. Like, the 90-10 rule cannot apply to us anymore. Like, 90% of work can't be done by 10% of people anymore. Like, I, I literally, I saw a picture of myself two and a half years ago. My hairline was here. Like, it's, it's amazing. I feel like I've gone through an entire presidency in two and a half years. Like a, two, like a two-termer. I've done two terms of presidential work in two and a half years. Um, and then the last thing, which is what we're about to do, is clearly to pray. This is a spiritual war that we're involved in. This is not brick and mortar. This isn't about an address. This is about the, the eternal souls of individuals. This is about a vision that goes way beyond any of us individually or even this church as a whole. This is not about the name Anthem Church or our logo or our graphics or a cool new church app. As cool as it may be. It's not about that. This is about actually changing this town and reclaiming it. I don't know if you know this or if you've experienced this. There is a particular spiritual darkness over this little corner of the world. 
It's unique. You don't have this in Lillington or Coates or Fequay. I talk to enough people. I talk to enough pastors. There is a unique cloud over this area. There are several of us in this church that have experienced the spiritual warfare stuff that I don't like to talk about because it's too creepy. But it's because we have stirred up a hornet's nest. The enemy thought that he had claimed this town and its people. No. Here comes Jesus and the gospel, and he's called us specifically to shine light into this town. Pray for the resources. It tells us in Scripture, pray for workers, laborers for the mission. Pray for the resources. We have pl- plenty of examples in the Bible. It's like, we need this, God. You, you're going to have to provide, and God provides. We need food. Here's food. We need water. Split the rock. Our backs are against the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh and his army. God, what are you going to do? All right, let me split the Red Sea. God makes a way, but it requires the humble prayers of, of his people, the petition of his people relying on him, asking him to do what is literally, literally impossible. He is the God of miracles. He is the God of the impossible. And so we get a front row seat in watching something that is absolutely absurd. And we're going to be better for it as a church. We're going to be better for it as individual followers of Jesus. I consider this an honor. I've never heard of a church being put through this. And that God would permit us and allow us and ordain for us to walk through this. Folks, this is a blessing. I think this is fun. This has breathed a new life into me. I'm tired. I'm stressed. But this is fun. You're, you're going to see something amazing. So I'm closing with this before we pray, and, and we're going to sing a song. Is this worth it? Maybe. Is this worth it? Is this worth fighting for? Let me ask you, are you, are you individually better because of what God has done in you through this church? Can you honestly say that you are closer to Christ and further along in your faith because of this church in your life? Can you say that? Can you see what God is about to do through us? Can you catch a glimpse of the vision of changing this world and bringing more people into the kingdom? Do you believe that's going to happen? Is it worth it? All right. Let's roll. Are we there? Are we there? All right. We're going to pray. a little bit of a a large crowd which is good Um, I'm going to ask Jimmy to stand and pray and sit and then if you feel led to pray stand and I say stand because the room is big and so it will project better you don't have to if everyone prays that would be amazing we'll be here a while but that's cool but I want to give people an opportunity to get up And humbly pray to God for help to do what only he can do. 
to ask and plead, to give us strength, to give us favor, to show us the way. If, if, if he wants us to go in a different direction, so be it, right? But to guide us and to lead us. So I want us to pray with diligence and fervor and to get excited. So, Jimmy, you'll start us out. And then, again, whoever wants to get up and just pray. God in heaven, you are enthroned above all. You are the maker of all. You created heaven and earth and all that is in them. And you did it simply by the word of your power. You sustain it all by the word of your power. You superintend over every aspect of it, Lord. You command galaxies. You command individual atoms and cells, Lord. You coordinate the affairs of nations, and you also lead us individually. You are the God of sovereignty and of providence and of governance. And in the midst of your kingship and your rulership, you do it so well. You do it with a benevolent heart. You're the God of grace and of mercy, gentleness and compassion, Lord, you, you stoop down and you take a knee to come to us, Lord. You are the lifter of our head. You speak wisdom into our hearts, Lord. You relieve our depression. You fix our ailments. You mend our broken hearts. Lord, you sent your Son and you spilled it out, Lord, for us that we may know you and know you abundantly and eternally. You rescued us out of darkness. You pulled us out of that miry pit. You forgave all of our sin, all of our insults against your holiness and your glory. You have forgiven it all, Lord, and you took it away that we may come to know you as our Abba Father. Lord, and there's this message, this good news that, that you have been at from the very beginning, Lord, from Genesis chapter 3 when we botched it. There is this message of redemption, this history, this story that you have been leading forward, culminating in the giving of your son and that sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, now it is our job to herald that from rooftops and from mountaintops, to take it to the nations, to take it to our neighbor Lord, you have called this specific body for such a time as this, this unique church. Lord, we're not better than other churches, but there is a unique work that you want to do in us and through us in this town, Lord. And I just, I beg and I plead that you would give us the favor and that you would give us the resources, that you would give us the leading and the guidance simply to do that which you called us to do, that your name may be honored, and that many, many would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, over the next few months, there's going to be confusion, probably some worry and stress, some wondering about things, Lord. And I ask that there would be a spirit of unity within this church, that we would strive, Lord, to lock arms and to... to take 
steps together to be joined, Lord, not to be divisive, to prioritize the things that matter, Lord, to not worry about things that don't matter, to serve, to give, to evangelize, Lord, to share the gospel with neighbors, to invite them into the life of this church and your people. I pray for a boldness in all of us, a passion for this work, a love for this church and an adoration for you. And I, I say with, with all honesty and humility that I am excited about this. We give all glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.